welcome to Splash of Cinema. I am John, and today we have on a very special former guest. I'll let you guys introduce yourselves, but the premise of this episode is we're going to be covering a couple big films and also doing Golden Globe predictions. So we'll see how it goes, but let us say hi. (laughs) Yeah, so without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest for episode 22, 32, excuse me, my hometown friend friend of John and I's. We love to talk movies, talk shop. We like to watch in our free time. The one, the only, Stan Stupp's other member, Jackson Matakaitis. How you doing today, Jackson? What's up, John and Pete? Uh, yeah, very, very excited to be here. I was, I was at the edge of my seat waiting for the reveal of who the special guest was. Now, now I have uh, inner peace knowing that. But uh, yeah, no, I've, I've been looking forward to uh, talking some movies with you guys. Uh, I've been, um, yeah, I feel like I've been missing on the movie the movie conversation lately and uh your pod's been holding me through the the tough times because we i mean we really were going through like a major movie drought it felt like but now like the winter season and like award season is upon us and now i feel like there's like at least like a handful of movies out every week that i want to go see yeah i love december like the december slate november december i feel like honestly there's too many movies to see in the movies at that time because everything drops like there's so many movies out lately that i want to see boys in the boat all this stuff and streaming's made it weird because now you can see it on streaming but you still want to see it in theaters like maestro would have been a great example um we'll talk about that but pete has a special theater experience let's talk about that but without further ado we'll, we'll get started on the slate so our first movie is our hidden gem of the week we were discussing before the episode whether or not it was really hidden but It's hidden enough, so we'll call it the hidden gem of the week. Kind of a smash hit, surprise hit of 2023. It should be an awards, darling. It's called The Holdovers, directed by Alexander Payne. It's available on Peacock Premium, and the plot reads, A curmudgeonly instructor at a New England prep school is forced to remain on campus during Christmas break to babysit the handful of students with nowhere to go. Eventually, he forms an unlikely bond with one of them, a damaged, brainy troublemaker and with the school's head cook, who just lost his son in Vietnam. It stars Paul Giamatti, Dominic Sessa, and Divine Joy Randolph. I hope I pronounced that right. And it is written by David Hemmingson. So, yeah, The Holdovers. What do you guys think about it? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I'm a big fan of, you know, this setting and this time period. It takes place in 1970 New England, sort of prep school setting. If you're not familiar with that, very like dead poet society it gave. And just a career career defining performance for Paul Giamatti. You know, he's an actor who sort of gets cast in the bit roles, whether it's Truman Show, Big Fat Liar. He always plays the dude who they just kind of cast aside, but he really shines in this. And uh, I, I wanted to get your guys' take on it. Do you think that was a real lazy eye? Like, do you, do you know how they did that? Because it, it really played itself very well. I don't think that Paul Giamatti actually has the lazy eye, but I did like the one, like, prop little thing that they were doing throughout the movie was, like, they were actually, like, switching what eye was the lazy eye. Like, they were, like, making the audience feel like, uh, well, I, like, Dominic Sessa's character keeps, like, talking about how he doesn't know, like, what eye to look at, and, like, you as the audience member don't know that either, because they purposely keep switching what eye is, like, the actual crazy lazy eye with Paul Giamatti. <laughs> But he, they did, they did a very good job of making him like, kind of like a revolting character to look at at first, and definitely uh, 
<laughs> definitely um, mm. added to that that they like keep referencing that he smells like fish as well because he has like a like a bodily oil like deficiency or something that makes him smell like fish at night. But uh, yeah, he did. Paul Giamatti is so good in this movie. He just plays like the cantankerous like old man type like just shut out from the world type of uh character so well and him and uh yeah dominic Sessa's character that make a make a great tag team but it's kind of unreal that that was his like introductory like acting role dominic Sessa. like i i don't know where they found that kid but i feel like he's gonna be in a ton more stuff he was he was really really good yeah he's he's kind of a newcomer like i said i don't know what he's been in before but i mean obviously this is giamatti's movie I'm excited to get into predictions later. He's definitely someone that I think will be recognized. But I, I heard an interview after this where he was saying his dream role to be would be to be the next Bond villain, um, which I think would be freaking awesome. I mean, he's great in a lot of movies. I think his best role to date before this was in Alexander Payne's Sideways, which is a really good wine movie. But I don't think anything comes close to this. He's really coming around and kind of at the top of the game now. And... He does really well in this kind of redeeming man called Ove type character, I would call it, where it's the old curmudgeonly guy that feels like he doesn't have anything to offer and then learns that he does. And yeah, that he goes a long way in doing it, the writing goes a long way in doing it, but all the details in probably the first half of the movie before they really unlock his heartwarming side show that he's just revolting in like every possible way and no one really wants to be around him. They even say to his face a couple of times like, you know people hate you, right? Like, everybody hates you. But then, of course, when you learn about his backstory, like, it makes sense. And that's what it does with all of the characters in this movie. Whether it starts with that, it brings that up in the middle, or it ends with that. Which, at, at different points, I feel like there's three or four emotional inflection points in this movie where a different character becomes extremely humanized. So you get that same reaction over and over, but they're spaced out. Like in the beginning, you know, the one character's son dies in Vietnam. So you're immediately of sympathy for her the whole movie. And then you gain sympathy for another character halfway through and another one at the end. And it, I don't know, it's just the characters are really rich and it's the acting and it's the writing for sure. Yeah, this is one of the best written movies I, I, I've I seen in 2023. Like, you know, it's not it's a slow movie. I will say that like shots are static. They do long pans, that sort of thing. And I wasn't familiar with Alexander Payne's previous films. I mean, I know he done, did, like, Downsizing was, like, his low point. And, like, Nebraska, which I've heard is great. I've, I've yet to see Sideways. I'm quite the gourmand when it comes to wine culture. So uh, I'll have to I'll have to watch that. But, uh, yeah, I like you said, John, every character is really rich. Even those tertiary characters on the side, like, the other kids at the school, like, they go around and they say, you know, why were you left home? You sort of get an inkling into all these characters minds uh which i really liked and it, and it took its time with it which i like it didn't it didn't say yep this is this is my story it went back to it and it harped on it and it was just a really touching warm movie like it feels like a nice warm embrace like uh, at christmas time and it is a holiday movie too so for you people who have your holiday movie ranking lists Holdovers should be on there because it's it's it, it is really great. Uh, I did want to shout out the performance of uh, again I might butcher her first name, Devine Joy Randolph. I think she could get a nomination as well come Oscar time with Giamatti. She was fantastic in this movie. I don't think I've seen her in anything else. Uh, she comes from the theater world, but uh, she has quite a few credits. Uh, so it was, it's cool to see her 
doing that and doing great work. And I really enjoyed it. I don't know how much love it's going to get at Oscar season just because it is, you know, one of those indie indie house movies. But granted, it's on Peacock now, so you can watch it and I would watch it. Uh, But yeah, just really, really enjoyed it. What other thoughts do you have on The Holdovers, Jackson? Yeah, I definitely agree with you on the the strength of the writing in this. Um, I thought, I mean, yeah, surprise, we're talking about the Golden Globes later on. I was kind of shocked to see that this didn't get a nomination for um, screenwriting at all. Just because I don't don't know if the story was based on a book. I feel like that's how it goes a lot of the times. But I mean, if it wasn't, I feel like there's just like really cool, like original, like characters being created here. And just the dialogue felt supernatural, which definitely give credit to the actors for that as well. But I do think I do think that to give more of a shout out to Paul Giamatti with that, like, I think a lot of his lines that he was dropping, I think they might have been a little eye rolling if uh, another character, like another actor had been dropping them as well. Like, I think he just really sold all of the different, like high level vocab words that he had to like call students, like dumb little shits. Basically he just had like, like his, uh, his expertise in like Roman language and or, like Latin, I guess is Roman language, but uh, just like the antiquities and like, you could just tell that he, devoted his entire life to like studying a dead language and dead uh civilizations instead of like taking taking part in his own time but yeah i don't know just the the dialogue and interrelational stuff between characters i thought just like felt really really true and natural and yeah i don't know i think for me i'd like a good like um character driven film i think is like something that i'd really gravitate towards and that's what this is like in a nutshell kind of i was just so invested in how the characters were going to end up and like their well-being and by the time the ending comes around i won't spoil anything but like it's kind of a heavier ending and like i was just like very emotionally invested in like their their well-being yeah i want to shout out the setting too um just because i live in somerville massachusetts and this movie took place in all parts over massachusetts they go for, for a road trip at one point, and they drive through a town that I used to live in called Clinton, Massachusetts, show some B-roll footage of that, and then they end up in Boston and Somerville, and they go see a movie at the home theater that I go to all the time. They go, they get food at a restaurant I've been to before. It's just like, they go to a bookstore I've been to before. It's just like so many different little moments that were like very uh, rewarding for me to like just point at the TV screen and be like, oh, I've been there. So definitely... Definitely part of the reason why I think I enjoyed this so much was because of the setting that I could relate to and then also the time of year that it dropped where it's like I just got done spending Christmas with my family and I'm now back in Massachusetts and I miss them. So kind of a, kind of a similar mindset I found myself in. Yeah, I agree with you. This I, I thought about that because I know you're a big New England guy now. Um, you must really connect with that setting. I did not know you go to that movie theater. That's crazy, but... I, I was wondering what movie they were playing. It seemed incredibly boring, um, right up Paul Giamatti's character's alley, but definitely not the kids, which is probably why he left. But yeah, I mean, you're right. The writing, I'll say time and again, like, I think the writing is the most important part of this. The performances are great, but the, this is a is a writing-heavy movie. Um, writing and setting, which setting is part of the writing. And it is a little bit surprising this didn't get a nomination. Like, Alexander Payne's previous movies, let's see, sideways and the descendants they both won uh oscars for writing so this guy's won two oscars for writing he's like 
a little bit behind Aaron Sorkin. Like, that's probably the level of a writer he is. And um, I think Nebraska, I'm sure, probably got a nomination for writing. I know it got a bunch of nominations. So the Gold Globes messed it up pretty bad by not giving this a screenplay nom. But let's hope the Oscars correct it. Because, I mean, this is a typical type of winner for best screenplay. I mean, it's very screenplay heavy, and that's what makes the movie. So that kind of pissed me off a little bit, especially when he's been recognized before for works that are probably not even as good as this. Anyway, that's probably the rest I have to say about The Holdovers. Jackson, anything else to say about The Holdovers? Yeah, um, I kind of just wanted to mention um, Payne's direction a little bit too, just because I wanted to know your guys' take on how you thought like visually the fake film grain looked, because I thought I was a fan of it, and I I know that it was like shot on digital, but they did some kind of post effect where they made it look like it was shot on like 35 millimeter footage, and I don't know. I just want to look more into how they did that because I find that fascinating. But I thought it really lended itself to like the the time period that it takes place in, and like obviously it's like a period piece, and I mean which also kind of lends to like the isolation and like desolation, I guess, in the setting where like you're cut off from everyone else, so you don't have a you don't have a freaking phone to tap away at to distract yourself or to connect with like loved ones at all. So you're just just you just you and uh, just you and like this wintry boarding school with like two other total people in it so but paint like kind of really wowed me a lot with some of like the the flashier techniques he was using like he was adding like a couple like not dated but just like stylized techniques I guess like a lot of like wipes and like slow like fade-ins and fade-outs and I don't know his camera was just like super engaging and it was like I just had a fun time like kind of paying attention along with that along with the characters yeah, I think that's something that, you know, when I think he he's self-aware of that, you know, because he I feel like he understands that this movie is slow. It is dialogue heavy. So he's got to sprinkle that stuff in. But totally, I get what you're saying. Like, it, it does fit the zeitgeist of the 70s and the setting as well. Just, uh, you know, paralleling that with the way the movie looks. And I think he did it strategically. And I think it worked. What about you, John? Do you do you think that played an advantage in, in the movie? Yeah, I mean, I I think it helped add to, like, kind of the boring vibes that you were supposed to feel. Um, And setting goes a long way in doing that, but the setting really worked with the filmmaking techniques. It was a little bit dull, a little bit grainy, but, like, very purposely dull and grainy. Yeah, it it wasn't supposed to be flat. I mean, it was super flashy in all the non-traditional flashy ways. I don't know if, if I'm even saying that right, but I think you guys know what I mean. Um, the filmmaking techniques are immaculate, but they're not trying, it's no Oppenheimer, like, it's not trying to be this really flashy film, it's more about the feelings, and I think the filmmaking contributes to the feelings a lot more than trying to make the setting seem really cool or stylized. I mean, it's supposed to be super stripped down, and yeah, I think that type of 35mm look really helped. Yeah, I just want to jump in real quick. I just want to make the point real quick that any movie could be shot like this if you really want to. Like, this movie obviously didn't have, like, a huge budget or anything like that. Like, there's no CGI or special effects, but, like, just shows that if you're, like, imaginative with, like, the shots that you are planning out and, like, the way that you want to, like, frame your characters and, like, stage conversations and, like, transition between different interactions between characters and stuff... The smallest movie, as long as you're, like, creative behind the camera, like, can be, like, visually engaging and 
have the feel of like a more expensive movie. And going back to the film grain, I do think that that kind of, it gave me the feeling of like an old home movie too, probably like combined with the setting a little bit, like, especially when they're at the Christmas party, it just felt like you were just kind of like rewatching an old home movie. The funny like interactions going on in that, that setting. And like the music and the warmth that you kind of felt in that setting. Um, just, I don't know. I just really like this movie. This is definitely one of my favorites of the year. Likewise, I have it at number two this year. So I'm really looking forward to the holdovers, how it does the Globes and the Academy Awards. So we're going to move on to another 2023 film. Uh, the three we're covering today are going all going to be 2023 films. Spoiler for you. It is directed by Bradley Cooper, his second directorial endeavor, the first being A Star is Born. And the plot reads, A portrait of Leonard Bernstein's singular charisma and passion for music as he rose to fame as America's first native-born, world-renowned conductor, all along following his ambition to compose both symphonic and popular Broadway works. Obviously, it's directed by Bradley Cooper. It stars Bradley Cooper and Carrie Mulligan. And it has uh, Maya Hawke in a supporting role, among other little actors sprinkled in there. I, I had a great experience watching this movie. It was definitely different watching it on VOD, I will say. So I'm going to let you guys go first, uh, and then I can delve into the theatrical experience of it. Yeah, I don't, this is a good movie. I think I liked it a little bit less than maybe some others on this podcast i feel like you, you really like this a lot i thought that bradley cooper did a good job directing it and i honestly forgot that he had directed a star is born too like i kind of went into this thinking like this was his directorial debut just because i like a star is born just like completely exited my mind for some reason i mean it has been a while since that came out that was probably like 2017 i thought that his performance was just left a little bit to be desired for me personally I thought the makeup and, like, prosthetics they used to, like, completely transform his face and, like, well, obviously, like, the nose prosthetic was a huge point of contention a little bit there. Um, honestly, though, I did think the, the nose prosthetic worked for me. I think I think it definitely, I mean, yeah, it transformed his face. Like, I, I was watching with my sibling and they were just remarking about how they, like, had no idea that it was Bradley Cooper until I, like, actually said his name out loud. So I think that speaks to how how drastic the physical transformation is, and the voice he's using is a little bit silly. I know that the transatlantic accent is like actually how they talked, and I, I actually saw like a like a um, media clip of the scene where they're being interviewed, and Kerry Mulligan's character is like listing off like all of his like achievements and like current projects. And they sound even like dumber, honestly, and sillier than what they sound like in this movie. So I think it's a testament to the actors that they made it sound like so like I don't know. I think it's more of a me problem where it's like it's hard for me to take that accent seriously and like empathize with what they're going through and what they're saying. Just because it's just like I don't know, just like something internally that's like I struggle with. But overall I don't know. I thought I thought it was like a very well put together movie i just think that there were some like emotional beats that fell a little bit flat to me what do you think john i probably agree with you a little bit more um and i miss the magic of seeing this the way pete saw it and pete showed me a little bit and i really liked the beginning part but then i fell asleep but i was able to finish it and um I, what i did like was some of the filmmaking techniques i think bradley cooper is really coming into his own that six minute 
directorial or that six minute conductor bit that he spent I think it was six years or something training for was absolutely incredible I had the honor of actually singing that which is Mahler's second Alfair Stein was the the clip that he's doing super famous piece and I don't know, it's it's just beautiful, and it's super. He's super impassioned, and and all of the the direct, uh, composing stuff and conducting stuff, the musical stuff is great. I think it got it fell into like I would call a little bit like a Bohemian Rhapsody trap or like a Rocket Man trap, where it takes this great artist and then it spends all this time on their like sex affairs and the drug use, and I get the whole cancer thing, but that was like fifteen minutes of like a sad thing about his wife dying of cancer all the emotional stuff I, like let's like it take let's have it take a back seat to the the stuff that makes him famous and so well known which is his passion for music i think everyone has struggles in their life and it's important to to show that but why not show what makes him unique and when when it was when it relied on those scenes and uh did cool stuff with i thought the prosthetics were awesome the black and white to, to color switch all that stuff was great. Um, Bradley Cooper knows his shit. I thought the writing was good. But yeah, aside from that, I, I really think that there were some downfalls, a little, a few pitfalls. I wasn't a huge fan of Maya Hawke. She just didn't really fit. And that's probably not her fault. She's a great actress, but it almost felt like I would rather have a nobody as the daughter. Like It felt like her character was trying to have an outsized role in the movie. Like Why do we need to know about how great his one daughter was and how much she like knew about their lives or whatever and then you know Carrie Mulligan she almost outshines Bradley Cooper which I don't even think you need in this in this type of movie like you want the best actor to be like the super strong carrying performance which Bradley Cooper's great but he does get outshone a little bit by Carrie Mulligan and the movie is like almost half about her when I don't think it was intended to be so I get it. It's a complicated, complex portrait of a man that had a lot of faults, but I would have rather have seen what made him great in the passion. Like, if the whole movie was that six-minute directorial sequence, it would have been way better in my book. And I think that tops anything in Tar, by the way, in terms of her music. And I think that also tops the J.K. Simmons whiplash uh, conducting. That one six-minute clip, that's all I'm talking about. Um, it was clear he put in the time and everything for that. I just wish that had been the whole movie. Like, I don't know, the the highlights from, like, New York, New York, and the sailors, and all all the, the stuff that he's famous for musically, like, that attracted me. The rest was whatever. No, I, I, I get that, John. I get I get what you're saying. It, it, it took the artist and took the art away from it, which I think could be a downfall f for people with this. And uh, like you mentioned, Carrie Mulligan, like, you said they didn't mean for her to outshine. I think he did mean for her to outshine. I think it was like a Priscilla thing where the artist and the subject of the biopic takes a back seat and it focuses on those around him and how they impacted him. This being his wife. And for those of you who don't know, Leonard Bernstein was a closeted gay man. So it delves into that. And there's a whole storyline there, but like you were saying, it was different for me. I saw this in Dolby in theaters uh, at the Paris theater for those of you who don't know is uh, Netflix's presenting house that they bought in New York city and they had Dolby audio. And I will say that six minute clip was like, I was hypnotized. Like uh, I think it was better than any of the one shots that were in tar. I think it's the best one shot of the year. I will say 
Granted, I did just see Zone of Interest, and there's a shot in there that's like, whoa. But uh, aside from that, it, w- it was great. I really enjoyed this one. I mean, I'm a theater kid for you listeners out there. I currently work in theater. I grew up a theater kid. So did John. Uh, you're looking at the star of Mamma Mia, uh, John Vodeman. But uh, <laughs> anyways, I digress. But yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It's a top 10 movie of the year for me. Uh, it just cracks that. I think the sound design is beautiful, and I think I think the writing's good. It gets a little too musical at times, like Tar, and that could be a downfall of it. And they're also, Jackson, you criticized the transatlantic accent. I think Bradley Cooper was hamming that up a lot. Uh, granted, that is what Leonard Bernstein sounded like, and uh, I saw a Sunday morning clip, actually. It was Bradley Cooper and uh, Leonard Bernstein's kids who you know, allowed him to make this movie. And they were like, yes, I couldn't, like, it was hard to tell the difference at times between you and dad, which is like a testament to Bradley Cooper and the research and time he put into this movie. Because if you don't know, this was originally going to be, I think it was Scorsese's movie, and then it transferred to another director, and then Bradley Cooper quickly picked it up, and then Netflix picked it up. So, I mean, just a testament to Bradley Cooper and what he can do. I think he's a good actor. I think he's a generation definer for our generation, I would say. Uh, just the multi-hyphenate approach he takes to film and the various hats he wears in that respect. And I think he wore several hats in this movie as well. You know, he was the the big composer that everyone knew, world-renowned. And then he's also the guy at home who's closed off and won't talk to his kids about his true self. Uh, and you really see that in the movie. And I think it was a deeply affecting movie. So I might stand in the minority there, but I, I really enjoyed Maestro. I definitely agree with uh, your point, Pete, that the movie like definitely intended for Carrie Mulligan to get all of the shine. Like, I think that part was just written as, that's just like the stereotypical Oscar bait. Not necessarily that they meant it to be Oscar bait, but like her performance was just like such a powerhouse of a performance that I would honestly be surprised if she didn't win the Oscar for this movie. I do think, I, I think it would be pretty much deserved too. I think I'm struggling to think of who would be up there. Maybe um, Lily Gladstone and Killers of the Flower Moon. But yeah, I don't know. I think she she definitely took the like the material that she had to work with. I think she like improved upon that like that character in real life and like made her more compassionate and like more empathetical to root for too. Like I think I had a much easier time like feeling empathy towards that character than I would just like the short interview clip that I saw of like Bernstein's wife in real life. But that's just like speaks to her accent a little bit. But I do, I, I'm, I'm going to push back on what you said, John, about the the best one shot compared to Tar and the whiplash ending. Like that's crazy, dude. That's the whiplash. And I mean, I'm also a drummer too. So that's also like kind of geared towards me as, as well with that whiplash ending. But I don't know that that's just like a crazy release of like everything that that movie is building up towards. And I'm blown away by that every time I watch that and watch that scene in whiplash. And then I guess in Tar, maybe I could maybe see that like stacking up to some of the orchestral scenes in that i suppose but um i don't know there's that tar is just i i just take issue i think i just took issue with tar being compared to this movie just because i love tar so much and i think that tar is everything that this movie kind of should have been a little bit but yeah i just i do i do think that this movie could have had the best of both worlds where you are still focusing on carrie mulgan's character and 
all of kind of the the pitfalls of Leonard Bernstein's like personal flaws. Like I think you could you should still include that in the movie, but I think I don't know the way they just presented his like love of music just yeah, just fell flat for me and I just kind of I think that they tried to take they tried to put all of the emotion of of this movie into the family storylines and I think that they they kind of should have gone like the music route and like I don't know like the musical scenes in this movie just didn't work for me for whatever reason and I I did watch this at home I think they definitely would have been a lot more moving if I'd seen them in a theater but yeah I don't know I just didn't love the the uh the conducting scene I was blanking on conducting yeah that six minute one shot I just didn't that just didn't hit for me as as much as I wish it did but I don't know for for me personally I just feel I feel so much emotion when I listen to music and I just don't, I just didn't really feel any of that when I watched this movie. And I think when you're talking about a world renowned composer, conductor, like this man literally is music. Like he embodies everything that's good about music. Um, and he's a genius. Like, I just think that that should be able to be passed on to the movie and like the audience should be able to, to really feel that without like trying to struggle to, to make a point to, I don't know, to understand his impact on, on, on music. I mean, they they called it Maestro, right? So, like, it should be all about the music. It, it, it kind of felt like false advertising a little bit, that it was so much about his family. I do just want to say, I don't know how much of a, of a hot take what I said was. I said it was the best conducting scene. The Whiplash final scene is awesome, but it's mostly about the drumming. I wouldn't say it's necessarily J.K. Simmons plays, like, maybe 10% of the part in that final scene. It's all Miles Teller. So I'm going to push back again on that one and say, in terms of pure conducting, which is all I was saying, it beats both Tar and Whiplash. And I would say the amount of work put in also beats Tar and Whiplash in terms of how Bradley Cooper prepared for this. But but yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It's hard to compare this and Tar. I do think I'm allowed to do that because they both are about conductors, right? So that is kind of a natural comparison, but... uh. But yeah, I, I think Tar, what Tar did right, which is kind of what this didn't do as well, which is Tar takes that whole sort of six minute montage that I was talking about, the energy of that, and leaves it the whole movie. And even when Lydia Tar is at her like dark points, it's all still about the music. And she cares so much about that. And just knowing Leonard Bernstein's body of work, you would think his character would care so much more about the music than it implied he did. Like, it would cut to him caring about his next hit or whoever he was going to sleep with that night or patching things up with his family, and then it would show him conducting. Like, it was weird. It was never... I want to see, like, the energy that goes into him making that music. It never showed that, really. So that kind of bothered me. I mean, you would think a man with this body of work would be way more obsessed with music than he was, painted in this film, at least. Yeah, I didn't I didn't really think about that, John, but yeah, they didn't really focus on sort of the evolution of the work or the creation of the work that be, but I did just want to mention little nugget, the score this movie like for a composer, it has a lot of lack of score moments. It doesn't have a lot of moments where it has score, but the score that they do use are works of Leonard Bernstein. So like they I know they have the prologue for West Side Story like when he's in time of uh, sort of turmoil and stuff, which I really liked. And like as a theater person that, you know, brought out the best of me. But yeah, 
anything else anyone has to say about Maestro? Yeah, um, I just want to address John. I do, I do think that when I heard you comparing it to Tar and Whiplash, two, two movies about music that I just absolutely adore, um, I think I just went white hot with rage and I didn't hear the, the caveat of conducting scene after, after you uh, compa- made that comparison. So that's, that's very fair. That's on me. I, yeah, no, I think I think that's a completely reasonable take because I don't know this movie is like entirely focused on conducting and uh, yeah I don't know Miles Teller is definitely like the focus of the Whiplash scene but um well also <laughs> I do think that Maya Maya Hawk just has like iPhone face like you can just tell by looking at her that her character knows what like FaceTime is like I don't I don't think she works in like a period piece really. But yeah, I don't know. I think that's I think that's in conclusion to my all of my thoughts. That's all I wanted to get off my chest. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, I appreciate I appreciate coming back to the center a little bit on that one. Cuz I will say, I mean, Tar and Whiplash are both far better movies than this. In fact, Whiplash is in one of my four favorites. And there are plenty of great one-shots in those movies too but purely conducting wise not throwing symbols at people but leading the orchestra <laughs> it has to be this but anyway i will take us into the next one unless you have something else to say jackson yeah real quick i just want to i do just want to bring it back to tar just real quick just because that movie was my introduction into how i found out who leonard bernstein was and i think that the way that they present leonard bernstein in that movie like that moved me emotionally way more than anything that took place in the movie about Leonard Bernstein, which I think is part of the reason why I didn't love this movie as much, but just because, like, the footage of Lydia Tarr watching Leonard Bernstein in Tar, like, that just was, like, so inspirational that Leonard Bernstein was, like, this figurehead and, like, this, like, conduit of, like, other people loving music and, like, that, like, being, like, the sole reason someone was, like, being driven into, like, their life's work. I don't know, I thought that was, was, like, very moving to me, and, again, I don't know, I just feel like, just the easy comparisons of Tar and Whiplash, like, I think that the emotional, like, connections to music in those movies was just, like, a lot more visceral to me than, um, than in this one. Yeah, I, I definitely agreed there, I would say. So anyway, that was 2023's Maestro, you can find it on Netflix, and before we get into our predictions, we're gonna do... A banger from this year, a movie that I love, a great animated film, and the movie is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. It's a 2023 release, it is available on Netflix, I want to say, and it's directed by Joaquin Dos Santos, Justin K. Thompson, and Kemp Powers. The plot reads, after reuniting with Gwen Stacy, Brooklyn's full-time friendly neighborhood, Spider-Man is catapulted across the multiverse where he encounters the Spider Society, a team of spider people charged with protecting the multiverse's very existence. But when the heroes clash on how to handle a new threat, Miles finds himself pitted against the other spiders and must set out on his own to save those he loves most. It stars as Miles Morales, Shamik Moore, as Gwen Stacy, Haley Steinfeld, Jason Schwartzman with an awesome role in this, Oscar Isaac, and Brian Tyree Henry. And it is written by Dave Callahan, Phil Lord, and Christopher Miller. I mean, just a great, great movie. I would say everything that I loved about the first, they just did it again. Awesome animation, cool mix of styles, great rap soundtrack, great voice acting. I mean, 
In terms of animation, super creative and just amazing. What are your guys' thoughts on Across the Spider-Verse? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. I've, I've seen it twice now, actually. First time I watched it on a plane, so I couldn't really, you know, delve into the animation that, that much. It was just, I, look, John's, John's cringing right now. Sorry, man. I, I, I saw it, and I wanted to watch it. Uh, but then I did watch it on VOD, on, on an actual TV. And I, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, like you said, uh, the soundtrack is incredible. Uh, James Blake, Butterfly. Or, no, Hummingbird. It's called Hummingbird. That song is incredible. I've been listening to that. Metro Boomin notably did the soundtrack, assembled, you know, a Rolodex of artists that he has throughout his career. And it really worked. I think they just upped every animation style they had in the first movie. Granted, I do think the first one's better. I'm just, you, you know me, I'm not a huge multiverse head and like, uh, you know, disrupting the multiverse and stuff like that. Like, I'm, I'm sort of fed up with that shit, to be honest. But this this movie does do it in the best way, but I still don't like it. Like it's just me. It's it's something that will never get rid of. I'll never get rid of. That being said, I give it four and a half stars. Like I love this movie. It's great. I like the int- characters they introduced, uh, especially Oscar Isaac's character. They really develop him and make him this three dimensional character. And I, I like the focus on Gwen Stacy and uh, her father, voiced by one of my favorites, Shea Wiggum. Of course, those scenes are just uh, heartbreaking and really great yeah and it, it becomes global I, I love the scene where they go to you know the in india or like you know the indian parallel in these universes i i love that scene i think spot is an insane villain i just think he's kind of unbeatable in a way and jason schwartzman really throughout the movie, his voice starts to change a little. He becomes more confident. He knows that he has the potential to beat Spider-Man and his posse, which I really, really enjoyed. Yeah, it. I mean, like, dude, it like saying a Spider-Verse movie isn't great is like saying water's not wet. Or, I mean, that's not what I mean. You know, it's just very apparent. But, yeah, and I just think this took it to a whole nother level from the animation style. The editing in this is insane. Like, and some of the animation techniques they have, uh, my favorite animation technique, I think, is when Gwen's introducing herself at the beginning, and she's on the subway, and it just keeps editing the background, and, like, you see these things in the background, and you're like, whoa, like, how did they think of this stuff? These movies are incredibly thought out, that's why they have three directors, right? Like, they can each take a section of the movie and work on it, and it felt like it was in perfect unison. I think it will win Best Animation again, Best Animated Feature, unless The Boy in the Heron does, just because it's his first movie in a while. Granted, I haven't seen that, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Spider Man now, and I think if I mean they left us on a cliffhanger too, like that's not spoiling anything. Like they are dragging out this franchise, and they rightfully deserve so. So yep. I feel like I fall more um, on Pete's view of this, where I think I am also a little bit tired of the multiverse stuff, but. I will say that I think I think that animation as a medium lends itself better to multiverse kind of stuff where you can really um, dive headfirst into the creativity and like different wacky worlds that you're going to. I did really like like the Gwen Stacy watercolor dimension. I thought that was like animated really beautifully. I think overall, I I definitely do like the first one better. I think that the first one stands alone as its own movie uh, much better, and whereas this one I. I kind of was a little irked at the amount of cliffhangers that they leave you on, which I think it can be a good thing, but I think, I guess my problem was more with the tone that it was like presented with where 
I think that if it was kind of given us, given it to us as kind of like a darker cliffhanger where you're like wondering like what's going to happen. Like if I don't, they did do that a little bit, but I felt like the tone was like a little bit too much uplifting where it kind of didn't make me like question if these characters were going to end up okay or not. Like I wish they had given us some more like outright peril or like so this character like actually died or like some, some kind of stakes instead of just like, the overall like entire universe is crashing down. I wish it was like a more specific, like this character is like literally about to die and then it cuts off. But like the, um, I guess I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to get into like too much into spoilers, I guess. But um, just that, that part of the ending was like a little bit of like a criticism for me, but overall, like I had a really great time watching this movie and like, I really do like these movies a lot. I think it's some of the best, like, and most like creative animation, like you'll see out right now. Just the amount of the sheer manpower it takes to, like, like the amount of animators and, like, graphic designers, like, working on these movies is, like, kind of amazing. And that's why I think the next one isn't coming out until, like, 2027 or something crazy, just because these movies take, like, so much effort to put put out. I do think, I think my favorite part of this movie, though, was um, the dynamic between, like, Miles and his parents. I think that the Miles and Gwen stuff is, is fine. I don't know. I don't think it's anything, like boundary pushing or anything i think it's just like a cute like teen romance type of thing but i was i was a little like concerned with how like moving past the original movie like how are they going to create like the emotional gut punch that it was like when miles uncle dies and like that was such a great character like voiced by mahershala ali and like i love i love that man so much like he's he's such a great actor and he was a great voice actor too but yeah i don't know his that character death in the first one was, like, the perfect kind of, I don't know, I guess, like, fulcrum kind of for, like, Miles' entire character arc to uh, kind of get switched on and, like, for him to realize, like, his true potential. And then, so, yeah, I don't know. I was, like, kind of kind of curious to see what, how they would move forward with this one. But, uh, I don't know, just, like, the stuff between Miles and his dad was, like, really touching to me. And, uh, I don't know, I was, I was really, really happy to see, like, they didn't really have a lack of, of heart too much in this one. So, I don't know. Overall, great movie. Great movie. Yeah, I mean, I think I know what you mean. Like, getting tired of the multiverse thing. I, what I love about the multiverse movies is, like, Disney has tried so hard and Marvel to, like, win at them. And they haven't because in the animation, like, realm, this this is an awesome movie. And so is the first because not only is Sony beating Disney at animation... But they're also beating them at Spider-Man while they have to share the rights. And, you know, I've voiced my thoughts on Disney before. I'm just not a huge fan. And then, second of all, like, in the live-action realm, everything everywhere all at once kind of put them to shame as well. But I do think... I think there's a limitation on these types of movies. But I also love your point about the animation styles. Like, yes, they for sure lend themselves, I think, to letting great animation work its course. But that only is because of the work that goes in, which I think Sony was willing to put in. And it's so reflected really well. Like, there's stories of guys working 30 hours at a time, putting animation work in on this. And I think that's why it deserves the high rating. And then emotionally, I think it's a little bit more nuanced than the first. With the the father arc and the Uncle Aaron arc, the Uncle Aaron arc really stuck to me. Because it's like, how do you reckon with the fact that your uncle is a villain and in another universe he might not be 
And, you know, in this multiverse, there's still canon events, right? So they do keep it grounded, but you have to kind of reckon with what am I going to try to fix and what am I not? And then, I mean, as Pete said, Spot is kind of an all-time villain for me. That's such a cool creative design. And Jason Schwartzman, who I can't really imagine him in any other villain roles. Maybe I'm missing one. I just love him in all the Wes Anderson stuff. But he's kind of great as this nerdy, awkward villain. And the, the voice acting came really through. And then, you know, the cliffhanger, you're right. There's probably too many. But that ending cliffhanger is awesome. Like, what a way to leave out the second movie and put us into the third. And then I'm a, I'm a massive fan of Metro Boomin. I think that was, like, the huge right choice for a modern rap soundtrack. The first movie, they, I think the soundtrack was actually better. They went to ASAP Rocky a lot, and they had a couple cool songs. But they bring on so many cool artists here, and that song Hummingbird is pretty awesome. I also like Self Love a lot. I think it's Coy Ray's on that. And there's another one, Am I Dreaming, I think it's called. But the soundtrack's awesome. So, yeah, I mean, technically kind of a perfect film. The rest of the stuff is just plot, plot stuff, which I think everyone can look at in their own ways. But in terms of work put into a movie, like, it shows a lot. Just a, just a really great film. Yeah, any, anything anyone else has to say about Spider-Verse? I think our audience knows, has probably seen this, I would think, and knows that, you know, this movie and this series of films is 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 great and this is no exception uh really great time with this one so without further ado we're going to move on to our golden globe award predictions so for those of you who don't know the golden globes are going to be this sunday uh, i believe at eight o'clock 8 p.m abc right john correct me if i'm wrong no i think they they're starting a new contract with like cbs i want to say it's cbs okay so CBS. So what we're going to do is I'm going to go down through the list and just read the nominees. And each of us is going to give our two cents about it and, you know, who we think is going to win. It's not going to be who we want to win. We could be like, yeah, I want this to win because I love this movie. But it, it's who we think is going to win. And then we're going to go back and roast each other uh, for whoever got the least score. So this is a fun little thing we like to do. So welcome, Jackson. Uh, we try to do this for every award show. And we're going to kick it off with the tiniest award. Uh, again, Golden Globe is TV and movies. And then we'll work up to the granddaddy of them all, Best Picture Drama. And for those of you who don't know, at the Globes, uh, there's a bunch of different categories. They have a ton of shit. It's long. It's Hollywood's award show. And they split up for features between dramas and musicals, comedies. Uh, so each of those has their own category. And we'll walk through that today. So we're going to start with the best television, best performance in a stand-up comedy on television. And the nominees are Amy Schumer, Chris Rock, Ricky Gervais, Sarah Silverman, Trevor Noah, and Wanda Sykes. I'm going to start it off, I guess. I'm going to go with Chris Rock. I think ever since getting punched at the Oscars, he's he's been on a comeback tear. I've heard that's a great special. I haven't seen any of these, if I'm being fully honest. I don't really watch stand-up comedy unless it's like Anthony Jeselnik. Uh, so I'm going to go with Chris Rock. Okay, I'm not going to lie. I only looked at the movie categories for this, so I quickly scrolled down to the bottom of this website we're using. So, so yeah, all my TV are just going to be, you're gonna just going to get straight from the gut, off the dome reactions. And 
who, yeah, what's not to love about that? I could see, again, I also haven't seen any of these specials as either, but I could see Trevor Noah maybe pulling it home, but I do like your take, Pete, with the, the Chris Rock. I do think uh, he's definitely had his name in, in the, the headlines recently, so I guess I'll, I'll go with Chris Rock as well. Yeah, I have to be completely honest. I also did not think we were going to cover the TV Globes, so I'm also going right off the cuff, but... We don't have to. Sorry, we've done this in the past, but let's just, let's ditch it, all right? We can do this one and then the rest, because, because ironically, this is the one I know about. I saw, like, I want to say 50 stand-up specials last year. Okay, nice, nice. The only one I did actually see of all these was Chris Rock's Selective Outrage, which is his, like, breaking moment about the whole Will Smith incident. He uh, famously didn't talk about it for about a year, year and a half. And then this episode, this uh, stand-up special, he just goes in on Will Smith. So it'd be kind of fitting if he wins for this at an award show where, like, he's talking about his his negative experience at an award show. And I, I do think it's probably the favorite, I would have to guess. So that would be my pick as well. But I can't believe you've seen 50 comedy specials. That's insane. What uh, what was your favorite out of all the ones you saw? I really love Ricky Gervais ones. I mean, I have to go back on my Letterboxd. And look at all the stand-up. Yeah, so I don't know if you had this one off the dome. I watched a bunch of Jeselnik. I mean, probably my favorite special in the last like couple years is um, Bo Burnham's Inside. That's a good one. But I got sick of Je- I got sick of Jeselnik, Pete. It, like all of his shit's the same. So like, I, have you seen a lot of his stuff or only like one or two? Because I feel like the first or second, they're funny, and then you're like, this type of humor is like so predictable. No, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. It's just, I don't know. It's it's weird. I don't watch a lot. It's been a while since I've watched his stand-up, so I could be wrong. But uh, I used to enjoy it, I'll say. Okay. John, wait, John, did you watch Did you watch Nick Mullins' uh, special at all? Do you know who that is? Nick Mullins? No. Yeah, he's one on YouTube. That, that was definitely my favorite one that I saw this year. It's called Year of the Dragon, I think. But I recommend that one. I, I thought that was so funny. I was, I was really cracking up. I will... Add that to the list. I really loved uh, Baby J this year, actually. Oh, yeah, I saw that, too. That's a good one. That's filmed in Boston as well. Boston Symphony Orchestra. Having heard his previous specials, it's hilarious. Like, in his previous specials, he talks about going to the doctor and, like, stuff he says to them. And then in this one, he's like, I used to be such a degenerate. I would go to the Dr. Mike, and he'd give me, like, my prescription yeah, pills. That was <laughs> and I'm like, I literally remember him talking about this, like, on his special eight years ago. All right. So uh, <laughs> that was my fault, audience. I thought we were covering uh, all the awards at the Globes. Uh, I will just say Succession and the Bear will sweep. Uh, and I am very much projecting when I say that. But anyways, let's move on to the uh, movie awards. Uh, so we're going to start off with Best Original Song Motion Picture. And the nominees are Addict. Did to Romance from She Came to Me by Bruce Springsteen. I have that movie has gotten such little marketing. I have heard of it and I don't think I'll watch it. And then we have three songs from Barbie Dance the Night by Mark Ronson, I'm Just Ken by Mark Ronson, and What Was I Made For by Billie Eilish. Uh, we also have Peaches from the Super Mario Bros. movie, sung by Tenacious D's finest, Jack Black. And we have Road to Freedom. Uh, from Rustin by the incredible, always loving Lenny Kravitz. So I'm going to go with What Was I Made For from Barbie. 
I think that's going to win. I think Billie Eilish is going to get some love. Uh, this mo- That song sort of, it was big. I mean, I'm Just Ken was probably bigger, but I'm Just Ken is just not actually a good song. It's just very funny. <laughs> I think Mark Ronson is talented, but not his best there. Uh, so I'm going to go with that Billie Eilish song. And Phineas as well, who's obviously like does Billie Eilish's things. But yeah. Yeah, no, as much as, much as I want to simp for my queen, Dua Lipa, and pick uh, Dance the Knife with Barbie, I don't know. I think, I think I'm just kind of going to slam dunk take, take this home. Like, I would actually be so shocked if it didn't win. Like, I would, I, would make a, I would make a side bet with you, Pete, if you're interested on that action. But I'm, like, very confident that that's going to win. That was, like, when I think of, like, one song in movies this year, it's that one. Part, I mean, it's, it's, tough to, it's like, tough to tell with these with this specific category, like, are you, are you dividing just the song from the actual performance? Because I think Ryan Gosling's like performance of I'm just Ken in the actual movie was like fantastic. So it's like, it's hard for me to, um, yeah, to separate like the performance and actual song in my mind, but I'm, I would be very surprised if it didn't win. Yeah. I mean, I agree with everything Pete said. I I think if it's actually best original song, it is, what was I made for? Because that's a better song. But I don't know, man. It's I always look at the Golden Globes as like way more of a pop culture type of ceremony than the Oscars or the Critics' Choice that are more like critic-oriented. And so I'm going to go with the pop culture favorite, which is I'm Just Ken, which, you know, is a worse song. Like, I'll agree. And they love Billie Eilish, so that's a factor. But also, like, I'm Just Ken was the hit of 2023. Like, it's a moment... And I think this is going to be the, the battle this year between Barbie and everything else. Like, are we going to honor the meme or are we going to honor, like, what's what's good? And here's a battle within Barbie itself. But I, I think we're going to honor the meme here. So I'm Just Ken is my pick. All right. So we have two for I'm Just Ken and one for What Was I Made For. So that was Best Original Song. And we're going to keep it in the music realm here. And our next... Nominations are for Best Original Score Motion Picture, and the nominees are Daniel Pemberton for Across the Spider-Verse, Jerskin Fendrix, what a name, uh, for Poor Things, Joe Hisaishi, sorry I'm butchering it, uh, for The Boy and the Heron, Ludwig Gorenson, our boy, for Oppenheimer, Micah Levi for The Zone of Interest, and Robbie Robertson for Killers of the Flower Moon. You know, I, I I have seen Poor Things. I think I'm the only one out of the three of us who have seen it. I think the score for Poor Things is fantastic. I think it's really great. I've yet to see Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, I saw The Zone of Interest last night, actually, so it's fresh in my mind. That score was great, but I think Zone of Interest is going to win for sound design. When it comes Oscar season, the sound design in that movie is just absurd. We'll, we'll cover that movie at some point. But I'm going to go with our boy, Ludwig Gorenson. Uh, I think what he did with Oppenheimer was beautiful uh, meticulous and really well thought out and in terms of score and supplementing a movie uh that's one of the best i've seen in in recent memory uh so i'm gonna have to go with my boy ludwig Gorenson. yeah i think yeah spoiler spoiler alert i think my pick is going to be ludwig as well that's just a great overall score but i actually have seen i watched the poor things last night and that was like a very like unique, interesting score that I thought fit the movie really well. Like it's just like very off kilter and grating, and like a lot of minor chords that are just like like nails on a chalkboard type of stuff. Which personally, like if I was like 
listening to this in my own free time, I wouldn't put that on, but I think, yeah, I think it was a good match for the film itself. But I also wouldn't be surprised if we got a, a posthumous Robbie Robertson win here. Cause he was in, yeah, he's like from the band fame, but I think he just died this year. So I honestly, I could definitely see him winning that even, even though I didn't honestly love the score of Killers of the Flower Moon. It's kind of, kind of felt like Home Depot, like, stomp clap rock music to me that i i don't know it's not really my thing but yeah i don't know i yeah my pick is ludwig goretzen here though uh yeah ludwig goretzen oppenheimer no question all right great so that was best original score we're gonna move it on to best screenplay for a motion picture uh they don't separate these at the globes uh, just one umbrella category and the nominees are celine song for past lives christopher nolan oppenheimer Eric Roth and Martin Scorsese for Killers of the Flower Moon, Greta Gerwig, Noah Baumbach for Barbie, Justine Triette and Arthur Harari for Anatomy of a Fall, and Tony McNamara for Poor Things. I love Past Lives. I think Celine Song is a very talented writer. She is a playwright. Honestly, these are all great scripts, but I'm going to go with Killers of the Flower Moon, even though I haven't seen it. Uh, It's just Scorsese, and I think he's going to win for that. Granted, Nolan's script was probably one of his better scripts for Oppenheimer, I think, uh, but I'm going to go with uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. I wouldn't be surprised if that won Best Adapted Screenplay at the Oscars, but even though I haven't seen it, I'm going to go Celine Song with Past Lives. I think I think that's going to get some love here. And I don't, I, could, I don't really know where exactly that's going to win in other categories, so I could see that picking up a win in this one. Yeah, Pete, that's... that's... Right, what I'm thinking as well. Actually, between your, both of the films you guys said, Past Lives and Killers of the Flower Moon. But I think it's going to be Killers of the Flower Moon just because these sorts of award shows when it comes to great directors and, and great movies that probably aren't going to get much else because they're stacked up against even better stuff, they like to kind of do a give me for one of them. And I think the voters are going to pick Killers of the Flower Moon because that's probably its strongest element is the script. So... Oppenheimer's gonna win like everything else technically technical wise but yeah no I agree I think Killers of the Flower Moon and that's gonna be Scorsese's one Golden Globes win this year will be for script all right so that was best screenplay we're gonna move it on to best director for motion picture uh the nominees are the previously covered Bradley Cooper for Maestro uh Celine Song for Past Lives Past Lives is super slept on guys like I think it's a real dark horse coming into award season it was a fantastic movie for those of you who haven't watched it A24 sort of a bilingual movie really great highly recommend Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer Greta Gerwig for Barbie uh Scorsese for Killers of the Flower Moon and Yorgos Lanthimos the drip god for Poor Things so for director I I mean, I don't see how you don't give it to Nolan. You mentioned, John, like, I think Nolan's direction is flawless in Oppenheimer. Haven't seen Killers of Flower Moon, but, I mean, we know Scorsese can act. Uh, but I, I'm going to go with Nolan for Oppenheimer. Yeah, I think that Nolan will probably win here. But I'd... I could see that Scorsese picking up the win for the Oscars. I feel like I'm just, I'm just a little curious about how the Oscars are going to treat Oppenheimer. Like, I feel like Killers of the Flower Moon is kind of more geared to kind of the types of awards that they've been giving out lately. Yeah, no one's my pick here, but yeah, shout out, shout out Yorgos's uh, double-breasted La Mer uh, blazer and fisherman sandals. Yeah, once again, just great year of directors, but 
in terms of direction, not like nobody holds a candle to Nolan this year. Nolan hasn't won Best Director yet. He's done a lot of great movies. If he doesn't win for, like, he's gonna have to win for this. This is, like, a career-defining movie, right? Like, this is what you give it to him for. And I, I, I think Oppenheimer's gonna win probably 10 Oscars, 9. I, I do think it caters to the Oscar voters in a way that Killers of the Flower Moon, like, normally might, but just doesn't this year. But we'll see when the Oscars come around. But anyway, yes, I think it's, this is Oppenheimer, Nolan, Best Director. All right, so that was Best Director. Huge award come Oscar season. Uh, the Globes, obviously, it's big, but the Globes aren't as serious, people. We've been saying this. It's sort of, you know, who's most popular and who Hollywood wants at the end of the day. And we're going to move into the performance categories with Best Performance by a Male Actor in a Supporting Role in Any Motion Picture. Uh, the nominees are Charles Melton for May-December. Fantastic movie. We're not going to cover it today, uh, but we will cover it in the future. Uh, available on Netflix. Highly recommend you watch it. Mark Ruffalo for Poor Things. Robert De Niro for Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer, Ryan Gosling for Barbie. I think that's just a popularity nom. I mean, he is great. He is great, right? But he, I don't see him winning. And Willem Dafoe for Poor Things. You just mentioned you think Oppenheimer is going to get 10 Oscars. I think this is going to be one of them. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. sort of broke out of the mold that he's been in with Marvel movies, just strictly Marvel movies, you know, embodying Tony Stark and puts forth a fantastic performance in Oppenheimer, a career-defining performance for him, I believe, getting back into the dramatic realm. So I'm going to go with Robert Downey Jr. portraying Louis Strauss in Oppenheimer. I think that this is the most stacked uh, category that we've had to pick from. Yeah, I mean, all, all six of these roles are just very, very juicy, and all the none of the actors left any meat on the bone at all whatsoever. My heart, my heart is telling me Charles Melton here in May, December. I think, I think if we're going off of who deserves it the most, I think that he does. That's just like a truly heartbreaking role that I think he, I don't know, just conveyed so much emotion and like heartbreak through that, in that movie. But then, yeah, you got De Niro, Robert Downey Jr. Mark Ruffalo is like fantastic and poor things. I thought he was hilarious, but I was, because it's the Globes, I, I'm going to go Ryan Gosling. I think that they do give it to him here. I couldn't really argue that award being given to him just because they're not, yeah, they're not differentiating if it's a drama or comedy and he's an incredible comedic actor. And I, I don't know. I thought that he did like a very like entertaining, like very good job of just, he did, he did, he did, he did a good job of that role. Yeah. I mean, Gosling could get it. I, I think that'd be a little bit of a stretch. I mean, that would be definitely a popular award then. But yeah, no arguments, no complaints here. RDJ, I think he's got it unlocked. All right, so that was Best Supporting Actor. Uh, we're going to move into Best Supporting Actress in a Supporting Role in a Motion Picture. And the nominees are Danielle Brooks in The Color Purple, Davine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers, which we talked about. Great performance from her. Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer. Jodie Foster for Nyad is that's a movie I haven't heard of. It's sort of like the Mauritanian that year it was up, you know, like no one knew about this movie. I think that's this movie this year. Uh, we have Julianne Moore for May December and Rosamund Pike for Saltburn. Damn, I did not know she got nominated. That movie sucked. I will say that off the on the forefront. I know you, all you Jackson hates it. I think John John hasn't seen it, but. Yeah, he's going to hate it. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Like, watch it with an open mind, but damn, that movie sucked. Okay, so we're going to... just hated it. Sorry, guys. I'm going to go with Julianne Moore here. 
I think she's going to get her love in the Best Supporting Actress category. Uh, I think Divi and Joy Randolph is great in The Holdovers. I've heard Danielle Brooks is phenomenal in The Color Purple. But again, you know, The Color Purple, that's that's IP that's been worked on so much. And, you know, they had a movie, they made it a musical. It's just, it's hard to, you know, create originality through a role in that. And that's going to live in voters' minds. But yeah, I'm going to go with Julianne Moore for May, December. I thought she was great. Yeah, I really w- want to go with Divine Joy Randolph here. I think she deserves it over... Julianne Moore, to be honest. But I think I'll go with who I think is actually going to win it. I think I'll go Julianne Moore, too. If not just for the reason that I feel like a lot of the best acting and actressing <laughs> actressing roles uh, that get given out are, like, poor roles based off, like, real people. Because then you can, like, there's, like, empirical evidence, basically, that, oh, this person sounds and looks and acts like this other person. Like, it's it's a lot easier for, like, voters to compare to. So, yeah, with that being said, I go Julianne Moore. I, I'm biased because I haven't seen May, December. So because of that, and just because I think she was great, I'm going to go with Divine Joy Randolph for uh, The Holdovers. I think this is one of their wins. All right. So that was Best Supporting Actress. We're going to move into the Leading act- Actor and Actresses Awards. Uh, they split these up by musical and comedy and drama. Uh, so the first category is Best Performance by a Male Actor in a Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy. The nominees are Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. I've heard he's great in that. Have yet to see that. That's one we're probably going to cover on the pod as well. We're going to cover all these Oscar movies eventually, people, so really stay tuned. Uh, stay up to date. Next is Joaquin Phoenix for Bo is Afraid. I have yet to see that. Uh, Matt, Matt Damon for Air, which I think is a weird nomination. I'm surprised that movie's getting any love because it, it came out in like, what what was it, like April? Like it came out like right after Oscars last year. So interesting there. Nicolas Cage for Dream Scenario, uh, A24 movie I've yet to see. Paul Giamatti, The Holdovers, which we talked about, great. And Timothy Chalamet for Wonka, who despite all that I wanted to hate him in it, he was actually quite good and quite charming in that. I will go with Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers, though. I think this is his award. I think Jeffrey Wright is a close second. Uh, This is Jeffrey Wright's first big Hollywood lead role that he's had where it's just him solely in the in the lead you know you know getting all the all the time on screen but i'm gonna go with paul giamatti for the holdovers yeah i also haven't seen american fiction yet either wouldn't surprise me if jeffrey wright got some love there i would i would absolutely love it if joaquin phoenix won for Bo's afraid because that movie is batshit insane i i think everyone should go see that honestly it's like it's probably not everyone's cup of tea but i think it's worth the watch it's definitely like Something unique, which I I don't know. I always value that, seeing uh, something different. But also very, very funny movie. Like, that's actually deservedly a comedy movie that's in this category. But no, I I think I'm going to go Paul Giamatti as well. He's, yeah, I think I spoke enough on that role earlier in the episode. But uh, I don't know. I think it would be really nice to see him take home an award. Like, I would love to see a Paul Giamatti uh, award acceptance speech, too. I want to see what he chooses to spend his time on. Yeah, I 100% agree. You guys heard my takes on it earlier, but Paul Giamatti, the king this year. This is a weird category, just like all these big ones, because the Golden Gloves likes to spread the love, but then it makes it weird come Oscars time, because they have the musical comedy and then the normal. And in some of the comedies, you're like, is that really a comedy? Like, it's more of a drama. But Paul Giamatti will win for this, and we'll get into it later, but Killian Murphy will win for Oppenheimer, and then they'll be like, oh, we have a real two-man race. But it's only because they spread it out. Like, normally Matt Damon never gets a nomination for Air. But he did because it's the comedy category. 
Same with like Chalamet for Wonka. Like what the heck? I haven't seen it, but come on. But yeah, Paul Giamatti, The Holdovers. All right. So that was best performance by an actor in a musical comedy. Uh, we're moving on to best actress in a musical comedy. Uh, the nominees are Alma Kutsi for Fallen Leaves, which is out of Finland. Emma Stone for Poor Things. Fantasia Barino for The Color Purple. Jennifer Lawrence for No Hard Feelings, which is a great movie. Highly recommend. Good rom-com of the year. Uh, Margot Robbie, Barbie. And Natalie Portman, May December. I'm going to go with Emma Stone and Poor Things here. I thought she was fantastic. One of her best performances I've seen. Uh, up there with La La Land. I think she's definitely in the running for the Oscar race as well for Best Actress. Uh, out of the Things and Poor Things, I think it was Things and Poor Things. Did not mean that, guys. Sorry. But out of the Things and Poor Things, I think it's her, Mark Ruffalo, and the camera work that really stick out in that movie. So I'm going to go with Emma Stone Poor Things. Yeah, wow. I feel like um, me and Peter very synced up with our thoughts here. Yeah, I think I'm going to go Emma Stone as well in Poor Things. Yeah, she was she was fantastic in that movie, honestly. She was like, she was like very uh, likable and charismatic. And uh, I don't know. That was a really good performance. But I also, I wouldn't be totally shocked if Margot Robbie won for Barbie either. I, I really do think that Barbie's going to get a lot of love in the Golden Globes. I feel like... That's exactly what that whole spectacle is built for, is like Barbie. And yeah, I don't know. But yeah, no, I'm going on this stuff. Well, Jackson, uh, I agree with you. I think Barbie's going to get its love, but we'll get into the category later. A category that seems almost weirdly specialized for Barbie. But normally I'd stick to what I know, but in this case, I'm going to also say I'm a stone because I have watched The Curse and. I don't know that much about poor things, but from what I've heard, it's it's similar. Like, she has to be weird and kind of out there. And off, just on the curse alone and how she's been talked about, she's at the top of her game. Like, which, you know, it's like, how do you go even higher? You've already been at the top. You've already won Best Actress. But yeah, no, Emma Stone, she's awesome. She'll, she'll win for sure. All right, so that was Best Actress in Musical Comedy. Uh, we're all in unison there, Emma Stone, so we'll see what happens there. And we're going to move into the drama categories for performance. Uh, and our first is Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture Drama. Uh, the nominees are Andrew Scott for All of Us Strangers. For for who those of you don't know, it's a Paul Mescal Andrew Scott movie. It's coming out, getting a ton of press, so we'll see how that does in award season. Uh, we have Barry Keegan for Saltburn. Best part of that movie, in my opinion, for how shit it was. Bradley Cooper, Maestro. Killian Murphy, Oppenheimer. Coleman Domingo in Rustin, which uh, it's a court movie from Netflix. Uh, and Leonardo DiCaprio in Killers of the Flower Moon. Off the bat, Killian Murphy, Oppenheimer, no explanation needed. Sort of a, you know, acting-defining performance. I think actors will look back at his performance in this, sort of like Brando and On the Waterfront and all the movies Brando did. And, you know, it, it's going to be Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer. So that's what I'm going with. Yeah, I do think that Killian Murphy will win here as well. I look, you do think that Leo did a better job this year than Killian Murphy, I think, in Coast of the Fire Moon. Yeah. <laughs> John, is, uh, John just passed out and hit his head. But uh, I think that, um, I don't know, there's just something about that role that I thought was, like, really magnetic. And, like, you could just, I don't know, you could just, something about it. Maybe it's the teeth. The prosthetic teeth, or maybe the, those baby blue eyes of Leo's, I don't know, just shining through past the 
just disgusting mouth that they gave him in that movie. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I really did like Leonardo's performance in that movie, but... Yeah, no, go and kill him here. Yeah, I mean, I loved Leo in, in that movie. I don't even know, though, if it stacks up against some of Leo's other work, uh, like The Revenant and stuff, but, I mean, yeah, this acting masterclass, best performance in a long time, just like best of the decade type performance from Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer just insane insane the facial expressions and stuff he'll win all right so that was best actor in a drama we're going to move on to best actress uh in a drama and the nominees are Annette Benning for Nyad again this movie that none of us have heard of uh we'll see how it does shout out to Sam by the way because Sam loves Annette Benning. I know that <laughs> uh so Annette Benning for Nyad Haley Spaney, my new celebrity crush, in Priscilla. Uh, she was great. Carrie Mulligan for Maestro. Greta Lee in Past Lives. Lily Gladstone in Killers of the Flower Moon. And Sandra Huller in Anatomy of a Fall. And she also starred in The Zone of Interest. Uh, fun fact for you. So Sandra Huller is this actress who did a French film and a German film that are both going to get nominations uh, for best foreign picture when it comes Oscar time. But uh, rambling aside, I'm going to go with Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon. Granted, I have not seen that movie. I think Greta Lee's great in Past Lives. I think Carrie Mulligan's great in Maestro. I think Kaylee Spaney made her career in Priscilla. She did great. But I'm going to go with Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon from all I've heard. So, I think that Lily Gladstone was fantastic in that movie. But my only thing with that one is, I don't know, she... It felt like the whole focus of that movie was more on DiCaprio and like her character kind of does, I mean, because of the plot, like it just does take like a natural backseat to him um, throughout that movie. So I feel like more of like the traditional like award bait powerhouse type performance that I talked about earlier with Carrie Mulligan. I think that one's going to kind of outshine like Gladstone's a little bit, but like if you're talking about like a ratio of best acting like per minute on screen i think that lily gladstone is like a lot better than carrie mulligan but i I don't know i feel like now i'm shitting on carrie mulligan's performance which was great but i don't know i just really did love uh lily gladstone and killers of the flower moon yeah i think you i think you just convinced me jackson i was i was gonna say carrie mulligan but i think you're right with the whole like best acting per minute on screen First of all, like, Lily Gladstone, this is not a best a- actress role. This is a best supporting actress role. Like, if she had been nominated for that, she would have won that, like, pretty easily, I think. But I don't know. I, they put her in this category, and she was probably the best for the screen time she got. And I think she, her character was, like, central to the theme of what that movie was about, if you know what I mean. So, probably her yeah, I'll say here, even though Carrie Mulligan has like has to be more of an anchor, I, I think you're right. Th- this is kind of a shame, though, because this should have been a supporting supporting nomination, and then they both get to win. So, yeah, Lily Gladstone. All right, so that was Best Actress in a Drama, uh, and we're going to move on to the films now. So our first category is Best Motion Picture Non-English Language. Uh, so the Globes does this thing where they say, no best foreign film. Uh, so like Past Lives is nominated for this because half of them, like a lot of the movies in Korean. But the nominees are Anatomy of a Fall from France, Fallen Leaves from Finland, Lo Capitano from Italy, 
Past Lives, uh, which is from the U.S. It's A24, but Korean is the language in it. Uh, Society of the Snow from Spain, which is one I'm really looking forward to. It's about this group of Uruguayan high school rugby players who get in this plane crash. True story. They sort of cannibalize themselves. Wild story. Happened in the 70s. Really want to see that. And The Zone of Interest, which is from the U.K., but it is in German, and Poland produced it. I haven't seen Anatomy of a Fall. I think it's between Anatomy of a Fall and The Zone of Interest. Wouldn't be surprised if Past Lives was a dark horse here, but I'm going to go with The Zone of Interest, uh, just because it is fresh in my mind. I think it's a horror movie that sort of isn't a horror movie at surface, but when you think about it, it's one of the scariest movies ever made, just for the context of it. Uh, So I'm going to go with The Zone of Interest. I think Jonathan Glazer did a fantastic job with that movie. Yeah, I'm not familiar with Capitano or Society of the Snow, but again, I haven't seen any of these movies in this category yet, but I've definitely been meaning to catch um, at least half of these. I feel like this is like a very strong uh, year for this category, but I uh, just haven't been lucky enough for them to be playing near me yet. But yeah, I've heard really, really great things about Anatomy of a Fall and Fallen Leaves too, but I think I think that the Golden Globes is going to give this to Past Lives, just because that's kind of more of like their... Their cup of tea, but I do. Th- I think I think that Zone of Interest is gonna get the Oscar by far. Well, yeah, no, they do. They do do foreign language films in the Oscar, but they can be nominated for Best Picture as well. But yeah, I'm a big fan of Jonathan Glazer's. I'm very jealous that you got to see that already, Pete. I that's been on my watch list for like a while now, and I've I really haven't heard like a single bad thing about that movie. So I'm I'm really looking forward to catching that one. But yeah, I do think that Past Lives wins the Golden Globe here. Granted, it's the only one I've seen, but I'm going to have to agree with Jackson on this one. I think it's past lives, for sure. Although the rest could be better. I just don't know. (laughs) Yeah, all right. That's totally fair. So we'll see which wins non-English language. So the next category is the one John alluded to earlier, sort of the Barbie category. It is a cinematic and box office achievement. I think it's sort of celebrating them getting back into theaters, but again, I think it's just an award that they're going to give to Barbie because Barbie is not going to win anything during this. I think that's what they're doing here because it was so popular and they know the backlash they'll get if they don't award Barbie. That might just be me thinking here, you know, thinking my thoughts out loud, but that's what I think. But alas, the nominees are Barbie, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. Like, it's even the first one listed, right? Like... I mean, it is alphabetical, sorry. Uh, Barbie, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, John Wick, Chapter 4, one of Jackson's favorites, uh, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1, Oppenheimer, Across the Spider-Verse, Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour. Like, they might give it to that, too, like, honestly. And the Super Mario Bros. movie, which we have flamed on here. I mean, Barbie, I'm not going to say anything else. Yeah, wow, Pete, you kind of ruined my spicy, spicy take here. I was going to go full... Red Pill Galaxy Brain on you. I was going to say that Taylor Swift Ares Tour. I think they're going to give it to that, honestly. Like, when you think about it, like, that's going to create the most headlines. That's going to get the most ratings, the most buzz. We've already seen it with Taylor Swift dating Travis Kelsey. She's been in the news. She has a rabid fan base. Um, I'm, I know I'm not going to say anything bad against her, so I don't get doxxed and my reputation dragged through the mud online by hordes of Swifties, but... Honestly, I I do agree that, like, Barbie's probably more likely, but I want to Babe Ruth, like, point and call my shot here and take a swing and say uh, Taylor Swift. I, I I do think that they, there's a real chance that they give it to that. And 
the all the clips of the Swifties uh, like holding hands and prancing around in a circle like in the movie theater and just some of the things that uh, were going on during that theatrical run was uh, was very entertaining for me to watch online. So yeah, I don't know. I I'm gonna go T Swift here. Yeah, no, I I do think it's kind of funny. Like it is a little bit of a war between Barbie and Taylor Swift, which kind of I think go for the same sort of audience that that really gets feverish about them. And at first when I saw this, I'm like, oh, it's cinematic stuff and box office achievement, so naturally Barbie. But then I think about it and it's like, the Taylor Swift movie was an insane box office achievement. Like, that has made by far more than any other, like, concert or album, like, film ever. I, I do think it'll be Barbie, like, my prediction's gonna be Barbie, but I think you're right, like, that's a dark horse. My favorite thing ever would be if John Wick 4 just comes out of nowhere and wins this. Like, that'd, be, that'd be the most John Wick thing ever, but it's not going to happen. It'll be Barbie. <laughs> yeah, that would be sick. So that was new award, cinematic and box office achievement. We'll see how it plays out. And I think that'll you know determine our predictions in future years of what sort of movie is going to win this award. So moving on, we have Best Motion Picture Animated. And the nominees are The Boy and the Heron, for if you don't know, that's Miyazaki's newest movie. Uh, got a lot of press for that. He hadn't released a movie in a while. Elemental, which is from Pixar. Across Spider-Verse, which he talked about. Uh, Suzume, which is out of Japan. The Super Mario Bros. And Wish from Disney. I heard Wish was awful, by the way. I don't think I'm going to watch it, but I heard it was a terrible movie. And like Elemental just seems like it's inside out. You know, They're just losing ideas, Pixar. Kind of losing it in the animation game. Uh, but I'm going to go with the Cross Spider-Verse. I think it's better than anything here. Granted, I didn't see The Boy and the Heron, and, you know, he gets a lot of love, that director. Uh, Jackson, I know you're a big fan of his Porco Rosso movie, but I'm going to go with Across the Spider-Verse here. Yeah, if you want to go catch a, a very charming movie about a, a man cursed into transforming into the body of a pig who flies a fighter pilot war planes across the Adriatic Sea and fights Nazis and sea pirates. Uh, yeah, Catch Porco Rosso by Hayao Miyazaki. But uh, I do think that if it's Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse wins the globe, but I, I do think that Born in the Heron probably has a better chance to win the Oscar, I think. I'm really looking forward to watching that. Um, haven't had the chance to catch that one yet, but that's definitely been on my very high up on my watch list lately. Yeah, that one has a very interesting and talented like English voice cast, which is kind of cool. Because I mean, Miyazaki does get always draw like a lot of big names for voice actors, but I've also heard a lot of good things about Suzumi. I don't know if it's Suzumi or Suzume, but that's like another type of like anime Studio Ghibli esque movie. But uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't had the the luck to catch that one yet either. But yeah, all that being said, I'm going Spider-Verse here. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go Spider-Verse too. I haven't seen the others. I think The Boy and the Heron is a dark horse, but but yeah, Spider-Verse. Uh, I did just want to shout out a movie that was getting a lot of love in the animation realm. It's called The First Slam Dunk. Uh, it is very high ratings. It's out of Japan, uh, but it's about basketball, and I've heard it's just fantastic. I'm looking forward to watching it, but... uh. We'll see if that even gets love during the Oscars. But, like, it's, like, up there with Rotten Tomatoes. Like, this dude, do you guys know Chris Stuckman? He put that as his top movie of 2023. So he's this big YouTube re reviewer. Uh, but anyways, 
we also had Across the Spider-Verse, so that was animated feature. Uh, we're going to move on to Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. Here we have Air, for some reason, American Fiction. It's just like a mid-movie. Like, I don't, like, it was entertaining, right? Like, but, like, it was so, we reviewed it on the pod. Uh, it was just, like, mid. Like, I don't, I don't, there, I guess, like, I don't know why No Hard Feelings isn't on here. Like, I think that's better than Air, I would say. But anyways, uh, Air, American Fiction, Barbie, The Holdovers, May-December, which, you know, I don't know why May-December is in this category. It's not a comedy. It is a drama. And Poor Things. Ooh, I don't know for this category. It's, I could, you know what, I'm going to give it to American Fiction. I think they're going to give it to American Fiction. If you don't know the plot of American Fiction, it's like Jeffrey Wright's character has to write more black to be a successful writer. And I think that really lends it, like that theme really lends itself to the Globes and, you know, the award ceremony it is. So I'm going to, I've also heard it's great. Like, I'm not just saying that. Like, I have heard it's a great movie. Uh, the trailer clips look funny. So I'm going to go with American Fiction just because May, December isn't a comedy Barbie has that cinematic award and then poor things is like overtly sexual. Like it's a very sexual movie. I'm going to go with American fiction. Good point about poor things being sexual. I honestly don't know how that wasn't like NC 17. So it'd be hard for them to like, you know, when they put together like the little like highlight reels of the movie, like it'd be hard, it'd be very hard to get like footage of <laughs> like Emma Stone or like not showing her boobs or like someone like not swinging their dick around or something like that. But so yeah, I don't really see that one winning, even though it was was very entertaining and like the costume design and set design is like really interesting. I definitely think that's worth watching. I don't know. I'm having difficulty deciding between the holdovers and May December. It's just like the fact that May December is just like one of the saddest movies I've ever seen, and it's in comedy or musical categories. Really throwing me off here, but. I guess because of that, I'll go the holdovers. I think I think I could just visualize that winning the best. But I will say I did see that uh, American Fiction got put on Obama's uh, end of the year watch list, which this is a very tangential. But uh, there's just no way that Obama is actually like watching all of those movies and listening to all of like those songs that he puts on his year end list. Like I think that he has like a team of twenty people crafting those for him. I think it's just all optics, but. That's another that's another red pill take out there. No, I mean I think that's fair. I, I totally agree with you. It's like all the politicians that write books, like they're not actually writing them, it's just a ghostwriter. They might dictate them like half of the book and that's the most. But you really think Donald Trump's written like four books? Like no. <laughs> right? Like case in point, Obama's like curated artsy movie list obama has time to watch probably like five movies a year and they're probably all basketball movies i would he probably watched the uh the remake of white man can't jump with with jack harlow <laughs> i bet he did but anyway obama big jack harlow fan <laughs> yeah i don't know but i haven't seen it yet i do want to see that yeah i don't know this is a case of me wishing i'd seen may december or poor things but my pick is The Holdovers, probably because I haven't seen the others and because I think it's the most mainstream. As always, with the Globes, like we don't know the way it's going to go. They could give it to Barbie, but, I mean, what's a better movie? Probably The Holdovers, so that's going to be my pick. Yeah, that is an interesting category because, you know, like we were saying, like Poor Things is like NC-17. Like, it is funny. Like, Poor Things has its funny moments, but it's like very inappropriate for like a, you know, a mainstream audience, I would say. 
And then May, December just isn't a comedy. So I'm really surprised they didn't put May, December in drama. Like that's really weird because Todd Haynes movies aren't comedies, but whatever. Moving on is the granddaddy of them all. Not saying that dramas are more important than comedies, but in award show context, they are people. They are. Uh, so John's about to take your head off for that. Didn't you watch like 200 comedies this year? Sorry, John. Sorry, John. They're mostly shitty and self-glorifying, but yeah, no, I would take your head off for that one, Pete. You need to you need to watch your step, buddy. All right, all right. I stand corrected. Uh, these are equal movies we were talking about, audience. So, best motion picture drama. It is Anatomy of a Fall, Pillars of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, and Zone of Interest. I did just want to mention that half of these, half of these are nominated for the best foreign best foreign language film, which I think is crazy. Like, I think that's just a testament to how strong non-English movies are this year. So that's super exciting for the industry and everything going on. And uh, all those movies I've heard are fantastic. Anatomy of a Fall, for those of you who don't know, is a French court drama, has massive ratings on Letterboxd, Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, all the rankings. So we'll see where that goes during award season. I think it was Venice's pick, right? It was the... Or, no, it was Cannes. I think it was Best at Cannes. We'll get back to you on that. But, uh, I mean, I gotta go Oppenheimer here. I love Zone of Interest. Love Maestro. Past Lives was fantastic. I don't think it's a big enough... Like, Past Lives is a great movie. It's just not big enough to be, you know, best drama. It, it's gotta be Oppenheimer. I'm sorry. It's gonna win Best Picture, too. Predicting it now. Yeah, I, yeah, I feel like I, I just can't go against Oppenheimer here. I think that's just a... Runaway freight train with picking up awards this year. Really, is a tour de force, and Nolan kind of, kind of, no one kind of reached like another level that I didn't really think that he was capable of getting to. Not that his past movies are bad by any means, but like this was just like a clear step above, I think, his past work. And I don't know, it's just, it's just like a kind of a great culmination on a very successful career. Yeah, I just I would be interested, Pete, to know if. You think that Zone of Interest deserves to win over Oppenheimer at all, or Killers of the Flower Moon, or any of these other movies? Like, I just really want to know your take. Yeah, Zone of Interest was great. I'm sure we'll talk about it on the pod eventually. It's just, it's a look at an event. It's about the Holocaust, for those of you who don't know. I I will preface by saying that. It is a very hard watch. Uh, But from a filmmaking perspective, I've never seen a movie like it. It's patient takes its time its characters are absent in a way and i just think it was for for the subject it was a beautiful movie just for filmmaking and what what it did to hateable characters thought it took a really interesting take on it so yeah i i don't see it winning against oppenheimer or kills the flower moon but i think it's that and anatomy of a fall for uh best foreign feature come oscars Okay, cool, yeah. Just because we're doing, like, what we think will win, not necessarily what we are rooting for and, like, truly believe. No, I, I truly believe Oppenheimer will win. Like, yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, I just wanted to make that distinction. I do think that Oppenheimer was probably the best out of these movies that I saw this year. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm just fascinated by his own of interest, and I, I can't wait to go see that. Yeah, I'd say same. That's probably, like, the next thing I want to watch. But you guys have kind of put me on the poor things bug. I also need to see, like, The Boy and the Hair, and there's a couple I really, really want to see. Um, May, December. but So I'll be grinding the next couple of days. This is an interesting category. I think it's a shame Air was in the comedy category instead of this, because I would say Air would be the definite winner. 
I'm just kidding. <laughs> that'd be hilarious. If Air gets even one Golden Globe, that'd be hilarious. But yeah, I mean, I'll say Oppenheimer. I think it's a safe category, but in my heart, I really do think it's the best. But, you know, I haven't seen the other stuff, so this is kind of a weird prediction for me. Yeah, and uh, heading back to what we mentioned, uh, Anatomy of Fall did, did win Palme d'Or, which is, you know, the biggest award at Cannes. So I think it'll get some love come Oscar season. But yeah, any anything else anyone wants to add? That That's the Globes for you. So tune in, CBS, 8 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. See how we did. Cool. I just wanted to take take my platform here to shout out two two other movies that I really loved this year. If that's cool with you guys, I don't know if you want to. All right, cool. Um, yeah, how to blow up a pipeline? I've talked to John and Pete about this. Um, trying to get this them to watch this one, but I believe it's still streaming on Hulu right now. But just like a really fascinating movie about eco terrorism that has like again really well developed characters and. I think that the structure um, of the the narrative and the story and how it's presented to you is like really engaging as like you slowly get um, backstories revealed and like motivations revealed as there's like this really compelling main storyline going on that has you at your, at the edge of your seat. So yeah, I just wanted to shout out that one. And then also passages by Ira Sachs. Um, That one is like a romance movie between, well, it's like a love triangle between two men and a woman and Franz Rogowski who I really like he's like a German actor who's in a lot of like Christian Petzold movies um he plays the lead and he just like not to be crass but he just serves cunt the whole movie there's no other way to put it I'm sorry (laughs) um but then Ben Wishaw plays his husband and then some like popular French actress plays like his mistress um but it's just like a really engaging i feel like i'm using that word a lot but i don't know it's like very compelling um romance movie that like kind of blurs the ethical lines of like monogamy i guess and like uh what like a relationship should be and like what you should want out of a relationship um just like a lot of interesting ideas going on in there and then i think the acting was like really really good as well and the outfits that uh from franz rogowski like gets off in that movie are incredible I, I wanted like every garment that he's wearing in that so yeah those are just two kind of uh underrated movies that i saw this year that like really stuck out to me that i would it would make me happy if more people watch them yeah so uh for those of you who don't know jackson is uh, sort of a style aficionado he has great style so uh, i did just want to ask while you still are here what's what's the best drip you've seen in 2023 movies for me i think it's uh <laughs> i think maestro has some great drip you know some great 60s 70s drip and also you know the hunger games the repeat had some good drip uh some good you know pan am drip so uh i I just want to get your thoughts on that i love this question i could talk about this for a while Uh, but i'll i'll dumb it down for you guys um that's not a concept i did not mean to to come off like that um just for the the amount of time I'm able to work with here. Um, again, yeah, Franz Rogowski, his his fits in that movie are incredible. He has like this one specific like fur jacket that I've like tried to find on Reddit. Like I've I've been like searching like what is this jacket so I can own it, but I can't find it at all. So if anyone what let's uh, if anyone knows what the answer to my search is, hit me up. But. Uh, other than that, though, I think in Poor Things, I thought the costume design was, like, incredible across the board, but um, specifically Jared Carmichael's fits in that movie were, like, 
really it really stuck out to me. I thought they were really sharp. Four things could that's like I would say that's costume. Like for costume design, like definitely. But yeah, Jared Carmichael's fits are insane in that movie. They're so well curated. But what about what about you, John? What's your what's your what's your best drip of twenty twenty three? That's an interesting question. I'll tell you what I, I do think will win best costume design because I think it's one of those categories that's close enough, at least in the Academy viewers, that it'll be pushed over the edge by popularity. They'll probably give it to Barbie, I'm guessing. I don't think that was the best drip of 23. There were some good costumes in Barbie. I don't know. This this is kind of a dark horse, like, out of their take, but I just like the costume design of the holdovers. I thought, <laughs> I thought that Paul Giamatti's drip was, it was peak 70s New England like school teacher just <laughs> that's like a kink for some people so <laughs> i don't know i i liked paul giamatti's fits in that i totally thought you were gonna go oppenheimer there because i that was like another consideration for me just quickly off the top of my head but i thought that uh i don't know killing specifically like i feel like all of his like super billowy like tucked in shirts and like huge pleated pants like i feel like that's kind of in style now too so that was that was another consideration for me as well but I do think that, I think that Barbie is kind of, I would say that that's more of a lock for set design. I feel like all of, like, the Barbie, ha- like, dream houses and stuff were incredible, too. I just really, yeah, I don't know. I really wish that Poor Things uh, will win. Um, just because, yeah, they're, I mean, that set design is, like, really incredible, too. I think they made, they made like, a lot of practical, like, just really incredible houses and, like, the architecture in that is, like, very unique and different and they kind of made steampunk cool in a way that I haven't really seen presented before, but yeah, I don't know. They used a lot of miniatures for that, I think, for poor things. But yeah, great. All right. Just thank you, Jackson, for coming on once again. It's always a pleasure to have you. We need some more Stan stuff. We need a crossover episode with all four of us. I think that would be great for the pod. And yeah, just great seeing you, man. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. That would be unreal. That would actually be like a six-hour podcast episode, which I think we should. I do think we should bless uh, bless the audience with that. Yeah, but that definitely needs to happen. I would love that. But yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on. I could could have gone for two more hours, honestly. But love talking movies with you boys. Yeah, seriously, it's always a good time to have you on, Jackson. We'll, we'd like to have you on again soon, and uh, we'll see how these predictions shake up. I think the ultimate thing is, is Barbie going to get a bunch of love or is it not? Like, that's kind of the axis of it all. But I especially like that fit question. I definitely have some some stuff to learn about the movie drip. That's not something I ever really focus on, but I do think it matters. But yeah, no. Yeah, educate yourself in some garms, John. (laughs) Where'd you pick up most of your knowledge? Is London, Pete? No, I wouldn't say, no, Jackson, honestly. Jackson's Jackson's the garm, the garm guardian, so to say. So... Do you have like a dream watch, Jackson? Like if you could have any watch. I do like the, I like the skinny like Cartier like tank watches, but those are like thousands and thousands of dollars. So I have tried to find like a not cheap knockoff one, but I'm not really a watch guy. I don't really like the feeling of something on my wrist too much. But thank you, Pete, for that uh, that credit though. But you you definitely have a great personal style yourself. All right, so <laughs> that's used to wrap it up. Great episode. We'll get this out before the Globes and see how things shake out. But signing off, Splash of Cinema, episode 32. I'm John. I'm Pete. This was Jackson. And thank you. We will see you next week.